right, welcome to Church and Other Drugs. Uh, my name is Jed, and uh, since this man stole my co-host, I stole John, John's new one. So we got Joey Svensson, the new co-host for uh, <laughs> Church and Other Drugs. We're going to leave John by himself over at Pastor with No yeah, Answers. So John and Natalie are now uh, overseeing Pastor with No Answers. I'm not. I'm no longer with that podcast. Yeah, it, it was. <laughs> I read about it in in Variety. Um, the uh, yeah, TMZ covered it pretty extensively. It was it was a messy a messy breakup to say the least. So you know, how worried about coronavirus are you on a scale of one to ten? I, I don't think about it that much, so I'm gonna go with four. And one of the reasons why it's so low is it it's not a it's not like an automatic death sentence. Now, if it was something to where, like back in the teens, 19, 1900s, you know, my great-grandfather died in the flu epidemic, and it was pretty much, you get the flu, you die. If it was one of those, then it would be way higher. True. But I think it's like a 20% death sentence, and so, you know, I like those odds. Those are good odds. The The more it's, it seems... My so I'm gonna I'm gonna stoke the fires of, of paranoia, right? So because uh, I love just creating fear for no reason, but because yeah, I'm, I'm gonna that's share a good my way fear. to contribute to the world. I like absolutely. It. So we have this. Uh, I, I work with this person who like used to, <laughs> who used to be a government official. All right, we'll just say that. So this person came into work like super freaked out, and uh, they were you know they were like, why are you freaked out? And and they were like, I'll, I'll tell you in a second. And they got brought into like a private room and they were like, so I just talked to my friend, uh, a doctor in South Carolina. And that doctor said that like, they're not, they're, they're being made to keep it quiet and not tell people as bad as it is, but you need to get ready for like quarantine zone type things. And you need to make sure <laughs> you have 30 day supplies of stuff. And I was like, Oh, Oh shit. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to buy some canned goods. That's probably as much as I'll go. Maybe an MRE or two. Yeah. 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 I want, I, I want to do, I want to drop maybe uh, a half. I, I told Priscilla, I want to drop a half a grand on food supply just so I don't have to get into the craziness. That's of, exactly I mean, it. Cause I, I do that all the time with these storms, man. We wait until everybody's panicking about the hurricane and then that's when we go and it is just maddening. So yeah, I'd like to like to stock up on, stuff i don't i guess we have to put it all in the garage yeah yeah that's my that's one of my favorite conspiracy theories is that uh like the uh rupert murdoch the people that own the weather channel are in cahoots with like walmarts and supermarkets to drive up uh weather hysteria (laughs) to sell more (laughs) to sell more goods yeah yeah um yeah man have you talked to uh nate henry lately yeah, actually, I did a long ass episode with him on his recent embracing of Nephilim yeah. conspiracy and and all that sort of thing. I, t- so, I told him he needs. Yeah, to, I told him he needs to bring you back to the light side because I feel like your time over in Progressive Land has taken you from the warm embrace of the Nephilim, bro. I feel like we're losing <laughs> you, dude. You need to. You, you've been clouded. Your mind has been. You need to wake up, bro. Yeah, it's it's. I, I had I had him on twice, uh, in like short succession because 
he like got into it like everyone goes into it and they go ham and they just read everything about it and then he read some other stuff and changed his mind a little bit and yeah it's great though it's i'm like dude i was totally there he's all, yeah, he's I, all about it i think for me it the the big thing for me is i don't care i don't think that it's a i certainly am not from the posture of you guys are idiots and psychos I for sure see how there's a lot of logic. And honestly, if you want to be, if, if, I'll, if I'll be completely honest, I'd say it may be one of the more logical approaches to Genesis to Revelation and how we make sense out of all these scriptures that consume so much of our thoughts and like, why would God do this? Or why would God tell people to do this? Or what, what does that mean? And it's like a narrative that kind of answers everything. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, one thing that I talked to Nate about in the episode that will, will come out is, like, what good would it be if everybody believed in the conspiracy in the first place? True. Like, it seems like to the world, people that don't ascribe to Christian faith, that all it's going to do is just make make them realize, or, or it's going to convince them that all Christians are just completely mad and crazy, and they don't want anything to do with yeah. it. So it's almost like, you know, is there any good that comes out of that? That's so, a good point. That's a sounds like you've become a perfect shill. So awesome, dude. You know. <laughs> now, um, yeah. So we're gonna get to uh, the interview with Asher Goddessman. I was recently on his show, showing up with Asher. Uh, he is a ordained rabbi. So Joey, he. Oh, it, you will think it's. In, I can't tell you because it'll give it away. But I asked him uh, that what what Jews believe about hell, and like I like we ended up trading. I was like, can I borrow your idea of hell? Cause that sounds a lot better. Um, yeah, yeah, but it was cool. So, uh, send cool. me an email, church and other drugs at gmail.com, patreon.com backslash church and other drugs, uh, store. Are you talking to me right now? Or are you talking to your listeners? Talking to the listeners, bro. Actually, oh, okay. Joey, go to storefrontier.com slash church and other drugs <laughs> and buy lots of t-shirts. And I will consider allowing John to continue, uh, I told him he's going to have to buy me out with a, a cheeseburger and uh, a, fr- <laughs> a McFlurry. <laughs> you really are upset about that, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Having a good Sunday? Beautiful Sunday. It is, it is. I've been, and I wanted to, uh, I hit record, so we're going, but um, I've been freaking myself out just reading coronavirus reports all day, and then I was like, oh, Asher's in California, where it's like actually at. What, uh, what's the, what's the temperature over there? Are people freaking out about it, or is there anything going on? People have been freaking out about it for a while, and to me, it's. You know, I actually don't freak out about these things at all. I think it's really funny that everybody is walking around with masks because masks don't even help for coronavirus. Right, right. 
yet also the the corona the coronavirus for gentlemen like you and I who are in decent health is really not a big deal oh and that's... really for people who who have respiratory issues or are not in great health and that that's kind yeah. of you to uh, to assume I'm in great health uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I am but it was a good no, like you by the way, you've you've consumed enough shit in your body, so I'm that, not really worried. That's you know what, what I'm saying. saying. A little, a little corona, maybe. A, <laughs> my my brother-in-law said there was a video of a a hick saying, "If I get the coronavirus, I might as well get Lyme's disease." Yeah. <laughs> what is a corona without a Lyme? Absolutely. <laughs> Someone and, and people were um. There was like a police, I don't know if you saw, but there was a police, uh, some police department that made a post like, hey, there's been reports that meth has been tainted with coronavirus, so please come turn it in. And obviously like a joke and people got like, it got shared like a million times and all these other news outlets reported on it and people, and I was thinking, I was like, man, when I was... When I was doing meth, I don't think there was a virus on earth that could have survived inside my body, like... Not even a chance. So basically, you found the cure to Corona. Yeah, absolutely. So anybody listening to this podcast, if you are in fear of Corona, just get a meth habit. And you'll be fine. And you'll be fine, exactly. You'll lose your teeth, but gain your life. It's a win-win. So, Asher, welcome to the show. Thanks for for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, um before we kind of get into your story, give uh what's what's your what's your summation? Who who is Asher? Asher is constantly finding out who he is. He's on the journey called recovery, the journey called life. So Asher is most importantly a father because I think that's my most important role. He is a gentleman that has learned that he is no greater than nor no less than anybody. So he can accomplish anything he sets his mind out to do. And Asher is, I guess, just a fellow. I, I love to identify myself as an alcoholic because I find that I'm in a group of people that are just great people that really, when they're in recovery, all they want to do is improve their lives and look at their parts and things. So I guess the summation is that I have used my trials and tribulations, my struggles that continue to affect me even through today to learn about myself and how I can be there for others or with others. That's a, that is a good summation. It's, that's a, <laughs> I'll have to remember that. What, so you're also a rabbi, right? I am an ordained rabbi. Ordained yeah. rabbi. So what, I guess... I don't know if you have a usual place you'd like to start, feel free, but I guess what's the, how does a currently ordained rabbi go down the rabbit hole of, of alcoholism? How did that come to pass? So, you know, when I open up my share in this, in the, in the 12 step meetings, I say, I grew up like everybody else in this room, the son of an Orthodox rabbi. <laughs> and I get, and I, <laughs> I get a nice chuckle out of it. Right. Um, actually, <laughs> anecdotally, I think I was probably in my most non-Jewish environment, uh, you know, meaning it was just someplace where 
I did not expect any Jews to be, and I shared that. <laughs> and afterwards, some, uh, some guy came over to me. He looked like a biker, fully tatted, and he's like, I'm also the son of an Orthodox rabbi. No way. <laughs> I swear. It was wild. Like, the guy you would not expect. And I said, I guess I've been saying that joke just for you. That's awesome. So, so yeah, so I'm proof that alcoholism and drug addiction, and that's not why I'm a drug addict, and it's not why I'm an alcoholic. Yet, how does a ordained rabbi? So we, we all have our dark side, right? And but at drugs and alcohol were not a darkness for me in the beginning. They were really a solution. So it really started off with lying. I made up that I was in Raiders of the Lost Ark and I hadn't even seen the movie. And so so I'm Harrison Ford, by the way. Uh, right y'all was going to ask which character. Yeah. yeah, I have no idea. I told you I, I didn't see the movie. I, just, <laughs> I, I wanted to be somebody different. So I'm the youngest in my family by eight and a half years. Oh, geez. And Yeah. And so I, and then by the time I was five years old, all my siblings had left the house. So it really created a lot of abandonment issues for me. So I never, I always believed if you really knew me, you would, you would leave me. And um, that, that feeling kind of persisted in my childhood a lot. And there were experiences in fifth grade. My brother was my teacher. I, w- I had to move to another school. He got to stay there. And as a child, not understanding why he would have to stay and why they chose him, it was a further proof to me that I was different then, right? I was the the bad one, so to say. Um, I also had fears of the night. I could I slept I slept in my parents' closet a lot. Um, really, In, into like fifth, sixth grade? Oh yeah. Oh wow. I I remember I remember I had a sleepover in fifth grade. And I faked a fever because I was scared. A sleepover at my own home. Okay, never mind the sleepovers at other people's houses that I that I faked sickness to get home. But I faked a fever because I was I just couldn't sleep and I had these you know fears. Hmm. Um, and they actually just went away one day. And then um, food was another huge part of my story. So I was. I was with a newlywed. I was left with a newlywed couple in Israel uh, when I was, I guess, eight years old. For I don't know. I think it was three weeks. If if, if I tell this story in ten years, I'll probably say it was three years. But I think it was three weeks. Right. We'll go with that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, this, all my stories are true. Some just haven't happened yet. And the first night I'm there, I knock on their door in the middle of the night, and I was like, "Didn't my parents tell you about my little problem?" And they're like, "What little problem?" I said, "Well, I don't, I don't know how to sleep alone." And so oh, I called God. into, I, I crawled into bed. I think they were in their early twenties. Right? Oh God! I, I, I crawled into bed with them. It was a huge amount of shame around it. Mm-hmm. So I started feeding that with ice cream and food and so on and so forth. And I didn't want to be a husky size for my bar mitzvah, so I went on a puffed rice and diet coke diet at thirteen, and. um Hence, I started learning unhealthy solutions to longer-term problems. Yeah, for and sure. It kind of started all then. Um, I lost the weight, and high school really was more about weed. Um, there was a there was a guy named Leroy who was on a TV show called Fame. I don't know if you remember that show. I am familiar. Um, 
Okay, there you go. So Leroy from Fame did cocaine, and he got a bloody nose, so I made up in my head that he died, which probably ended up saving my life. Uh, and I I didn't do cocaine in high school. I did some hallucinogenics, some weed, a lot of weed. Weed was a daily, you know, a daily occurrence. And to show you how my parents dealt with it, you know, being the son of a rabbi, they were at the what's called the Shabbat table. So Shabbat is every every weekend, Friday night through Saturday, Sundown, you have a festive meal on Friday night, you have a festive meal for lunch. And we had a bunch of guests over and they were talking about the marijuana problem and the Jewish day schools and the Jewish high schools. And they said to me, they called me Ashi at the time. That was my nickname. And they said, Ashi, so have you ever smoked marijuana? And I said, well, in fact, I just smoked in my room right now. <laughs> and, <laughs> and everyone went dead quiet, dead silent, you know. And about 30 seconds later, they all laughed. And I think that's the last time my parents even came to my side of the house. Oh, my God. They just didn't want to know? <laughs> or did they just think yeah, you were... No, they just didn't want to know. It was like, I don't know. They didn't know how to deal with that. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Some like, serious you know, cognitive like, dissonance going on. Exactly. Like, what, what, what? I don't, you know, A, is he joking? B, is he lying? And C, we don't want to find out. So, uh, but, you know, then it became religion. Um, that's how I became an ordained rabbi. I traveled to Israel and... I decided, you know what, religion was going to be replace all these ill feelings. And it really was this pit in my stomach that persisted from a very, very young age. And it was, I didn't belong, I'm not a part of, I'm better off dead. Uh, you know, it was just all a lot of negative messaging. And ultimately was, if you really knew me, there's no way you could love me. Mm. And so it was religion, and then it was food again. And then I got married really young. And then I decided, somebody told me I was a fat pig. And I said, I'll show you. And I, um, somebody close to me, it's not really important who it was. And I said, I'll show you. And I remember literally it was 18 years ago, maybe even more. Um, 18, 19 years ago, I said, okay, I'll show you. I had a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. And the next morning I went on the Atkins diet. And I lost 80 pounds in six months. The real issue is now how does an alcohol, oh, well, not, I wasn't, how does somebody with so much pain now that he's on the Atkins diet and can't replace it with donuts and cookies, what, what does he do? So low in calories is vodka. Yeah. So we made, right? So vodka and Diet Coke. And, it's um, it's really a shame you missed out on cocaine, really, because that would have just checked so many boxes for you. Oh, don't worry. I got to cocaine. Oh, okay, I good, promise. good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I was hoping you didn't swear off forever because, boy, oh, that... No, uh, heaven, for, heaven, heaven forbid it was yeah. the greatest thing ever happened to me. So, <laughs> you know how in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, they say that my best day, my best day, whatever, my best day drunk is is not as good as my worst day sober oh, that's bullshit my oh best dude day it's drunk is yes so good <laughs> thank you yeah yeah yeah, yeah right. so good and um yeah so fast forward you want to get to cocaine a little bit so fast forward was i was in miami on a two-day bender um and saturday night i couldn't go to the club and i was with some girl 
and she's like, just just take a bump. I was like, yeah, why not? You're cute. I'll do it. And literally it was like Clark Kent went into the phone booth and Superman came out. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me, and I was so pissed because <laughs> how, where, where was this? You know, for the last twenty years of my life, right? And, I mean, literally, I could, and it just enhanced the drinking. I was able to polish off a bottle of vodka, and I just, you know, I, I finished my first eight ball that night. So I do it. I did it right, you know. So, um, and I was off to the races, and there was a, I don't know, two to three year period where cocaine was not a daily occurrence; was probably every third day. Um, and you know, and I had to make sure I had really good shit. So I had a lot of money at this time and I was doing really well financially. So I get an ounce for me and an ounce for everybody else. Oh, good grief. See, I never had it like that, but, and you were, you were like holding down a day job. Obviously I was. Yeah. I was holding down a day job. I had a couple of kids. Um, I, yeah, I was, yeah. Not only was I holding us down a day job every time I used Coke, I thought it was Einstein. So. Yeah. So you, how long? How long would an ounce of Coke last you at your peak? A week. Yeah. Okay. All right. And so with with a couple kids, a day job. So you were. It's probably safe to say you like. Yeah. You. It was sustaining you to a large degree. Oh my God! It, it, listen. Ultimately, it was. It saved my life. Right, so drugs and alcohol weren't my problem; they were my solution. Mm-hmm. Right? And then between '05 and '08, this shit hit the fan, and I started to lose everything. And in the summer of '07, I knew that you know my life was heading in the wrong direction financially, and that's all I thought I was to the world. So I had a lot of money; I can buy you, fix you help you and then you wouldn't leave me if did, my money was gone did you know, your go ahead yeah did sure. did your um did your addiction start to take away your money or are we talking the financial crisis of 08 or like a combination of the two combination of two three Oof. seven you know so it was you know I, I you know as a good as a christian man and as a jewish man that we're not afraid to talk about God. I believe wholeheartedly that I needed to learn these lessons mm. to become to become the man I'm supposed to be. And what I believe is, you know, I've come to believe because I had this God that I believed in that was really bad. Uh, it was, you know, make deals with him, you know, and and constantly worrying about pleasing him, not pleasing him. He's going to punish me, spite me, you know, and never did I ever change a behavior because of it. I just felt, uh, you know, consistently shittier and shittier about myself. Yeah. To this God that I've, I've come to today, who's this father in heaven who really loves me no matter what, absolutely no matter what, just wake up in the morning. He loves you. Period. End of story. I don't got to do nothing to earn that love yet. As a loving father, and not yet, and as a loving father, he gives me guidance, and he wants he he wants to help me get on my path, and he'll give me gentle reminders at first, 
And if I'm still not willing to hear it or I'm not paying attention to it, it'll just get louder. And mm. in my case, it got so loud that I needed to go broke to learn my lesson because I had to learn that my value wasn't only money. And, um, you know, I say I wish what Conan O'Brien said, it. he says, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But they forget to tell you it almost kills you. Right. Right. You know, so I wish I didn't have to learn it that way, but that was my journey and I had to learn it that way. So, um, and you know, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is a, a quick aside cause I, I'm curious when you, so you had, we, we bonded on the similarity of having this like guilt complex from God, but with sure. evangelical Christianity, the, the prevailing fear, fear is hell. So I was curious, what was in Judaism, what is the prevailing fear? Is it that you'll be punished in this world, or is what's what was your? Oh, mine was both. Mine okay, was both this world and the world to come. Right. What this, is this, the uh, what is the Jewish what, uh, idea of hell? Oh, so the Jewish idea of hell. So it's a great question. So hell is not a permanent state in Judaism. Okay. Hell is a is a temporary state, but that temporary state could be a really really long time. It's a it's a cleansing process. Hmm. Um, it you all the so there in Judaism there's two types of sins, right? There are sins between man and God, and there's sins between man and man. Sins between man and God annually on the Day of Atonement called Yom Kippur. God forgives you for all those sins. Yet God can't forgive you for hurting another human being. They have to forgive you. So hmm. that you must ask for, you know, you must ask for forgiveness, you know, and that that you must um, behave in a different way. And um, hold on one second. Sorry, one second. Oh, you're good. Yet, so man and man, there's this cleansing process, right? Or it, or if you don't atone for your sin. So personal responsibility is a big part of Judaism, is taking responsibility. And you could repent, right? I can ask you. So if I stole money from you, I can come to you and apologize and then pay you back. Um, you know, and then I've atoned. So it's as though the sin never happened. Yet all that stuff that you don't that you don't come clean on, you know, becomes pretty clear in the world to come, and that's the process. Okay. So that that's that's the heaven and hell. Okay. So uh, you know, and today I actually do believe. I believe that I just believe differently then. I believe that you know whatever I did, I was doomed to hell. Right. Mm. Anything, you know, and. And I was afraid of making an amends, right? Because if I told you what I did to you, there's no way you're going like, to even like me. And yeah. It was so. It was way more important to me what you thought of me than what I thought of me. Yes. You know, so. Yep. That okay. combined feelings. Yeah, so that's, you know, <laughs> hell is not a permanent, a permanent place or purgatory or all that stuff. So yeah. that's kind of where we... We differ, and I prefer my hell to your hell. No oh, kidding. sure. Well, I, luckily, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I would too. I would too. Um, yeah. 
Can, we, can I borrow your hell for a little bit? Um, <laughs> okay, so we, we, we found you broke. Yeah, so we found me broke, and I decided to make some drastic. Uh, I bought life insurance and intended to get out of here. Oh, and man. The problem is you got to wait two years, so now i got to manage two years. Did you have a, did you have a, because I know in there like suicide clauses, so did you have a plan? I had a, yeah, again, I I didn't ultimately have a real plan. I I wanted to always do it in a way that my children would never find out that I, that I did it to myself. Right. You know, it it wasn't about the, it wasn't against the world. It was against myself. Mm. My anger was very. Um, you know, a lot of it's, it's, you know, I've studied suicide a lot and I've worked with people who have attempted and unfortunately succeeded. And sometimes to them, their pain is so great. They want to tell the world about their pain, right? Or they want to blame the world for their pain. To me, it was, I just, I, I have no value. And so let me get, a, get them a bunch of cash and they'll be better off without me. Yet, I don't want them to have that guilt or that shame or that burden carrying that somehow they did something. So how do I get out of here, give them a lot of money and not let them know that I, I did it to myself. So I was, I was constantly thinking of various different ways to do that. That is a heavy burden for sure. (laughs) So I went to therapy to manage this process and unbeknownst to me, my therapist had 20-some-odd years sober at the time. And I told the therapist, I said, I'm a true narcissist. I've never done anything good in my life with balancing out the bad. And he said to me, your hardware is fine. Your software is severely effed up. Do you want to do something about it? And I said, yeah, you got 19 months. He goes, what? And I said, yeah, I'm out of here in 19 months. So he said, well, you have a cocaine problem. And I go, no, I don't. And I literally just stopped. And he said, well, you have an, and then, you know, I'm, I'm fast forwarding sessions, but he then said, you have an alcohol problem. And I go, I do, but I'm not ready to stop that. That's my medicine. And um, he sent me to a 12 step meeting and I came back and I said, you know, you're a real asshole. <laughs> I don't I lose my money and lost my dignity. You're going to compare me to a junkie on the street. So my ego was, you know, alive and well. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. Here's a guy that wants to end his life. Financially, he's ruined, yet he, like, oh, compare him to a junkie on the street, and he's a bad guy. Right, um, right. You know, and that was my problem. I was looking for the differences, not the similarities, yet... Having 12 steps versus 613 commandments, I'll take 12 steps any day. Yeah. I started started going to Overeaters Anonymous, actually. And then March 19th, 2008, I had that moment of clarity, and I was drunk again. And I was like, why am I any different than the homeless man on the street, you know, collecting money to get by his dope? Like, what makes me any different? And I went back to that same what I call low bottom meeting, and next morning I got a sponsor, and I've been sober ever since, and um, that's where the journey began, actually, you know. And I picked up a book called The Holy Thief, written by a rabbi named Mark Borowitz, who spent many years in jail, and then his journey became a rabbi and 
headed up a treatment center, a nonprofit treatment center in L.A. My dad being a prominent rabbi in L.A., I sent him an email and I said, Rabbi, I want to meet with you. And he said, okay. And we set up a meeting. He goes, why do you want to meet with me? And I said, because my experience is that all rabbis are full of shit. I want to see if you're full of shit, too. <laughs> and he says, why don't we study together? And we started studying together. And what I noticed at this treatment center, very similarly to what I noticed in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, was nobody cared what my name was, who I was, what my background was. Yet people were changing their lives, and it was such a that, that to me that's true spirituality that you don't bring your dogma with you, you bring your humanity with you, and all it's about is how do I improve my life, how am I, how do I become a better person, which ultimately is how I define religion is religion is a guidebook to how to be a better person to treat God's children with loving kindness period, end of story. And the second you misuse it to treat God's children with contempt or resentment or tell them that they're doing it wrong, you've lost the whole purpose, you know? And, and you know, so that to me is, as a, a Jew that says, I'm, looks at a Christian and says, I'm doing it right, he's doing it wrong, has lost the entire vision of what God wants. Yeah. Because all God wants is you to be loving towards his children, not to decide who's right or who's wrong. You know, let, leave that up to God. You know, I say, thank God he is, I'm not. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think that's where all, you know, you know, everyone says religion has caused so many wars. And I said, uh, people have caused so many wars. And religion is not the problem. It's how we observe it. And right. Being the problem at times so um you know so and then i said to him six months into it i said rabbi i can't go back into deal making what am i going to do with my life and he says you're going to go open a sober living and i was like what i'm nine months sober i got no experience who's going to send me clients and you literally said go get an effing house and i'll and i will effing send you clients and literally that's almost 11 years ago that that process started because in three weeks I'll be 12 years old. How many houses do you have? Or even less. How many today? Yeah. You're saying? Today we have 16. Jeez. Yeah. So how, yeah. And the, <laughs> to people, to people, I have so many, um, I meet so many friends and people that are like, yeah, I think I'm going to, I'm going to start a sober living house. And I'm always like, Oh, you should not do that. <laughs> like people assume it's this. Yeah, you should definitely not do that. People assume it's this easy or like, A, they either think it's going to be a money-making thing or B, it's going to be easy. And I'm like, it is neither. You have to have a compassionate, patient heart for that kind of work. Well, yeah, and and an angel on your shoulder watching out for you. Sure. So, so how, how's that experience been? Uh, ups and downs all around and the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my whole life. So I, you know, the beginning process was we were charging $800 a month and I don't even know if most of the people were paying it. And if you were supposed to go to jail, I got you. If you were supposed to be hospitalized, I got you. I mean, I, 
you know, I had some, truly it was miraculous and that nobody died and spoons went missing and I didn't know why because remember I snorted coke on it. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I was like, I literally, I remember having a house meeting and closed the door and I was like, guys, forks, knives, plates, all no problem. But the spoons, there's no spoons. (laughs) What the hell is wrong with you guys? And they all started laughing at me. Right. And I said, why are you laughing? And everyone goes dead silent, of course. And I said, here's the deal. We're not leaving this room until I understand the spoon problem. So we can do it one of two ways. I can have an empty house because obviously something's going on with these spoons. Or you can just tell me what's up. So they're like, do you know how to cook drugs? And I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) I said, you use a spoon. I said, oh, so you guys have been using There we go. Okay. (laughs) Well, now you know. Yeah. I was like, well, here's the deal. Whoever's been using is going to get honest. We're going to get them out. Or we're going to get them. Or everybody's gone. I'm not singling out people, and I'm not saying tell on it. So here's the deal. We're one for all and all for one. So literally, if, if I find out that one of you was using drugs, literally all of us are gone, finished. And which created a sense of community and camaraderie because I'm not singling people out. I don't want narcs or whatever you want to call them. Right. And I said, you're all in, you're all done. And um, they got honest with me and we got, you know, some of the guys help and some of the guys are still around today and some of the guys work for me and number five client is, my number two guy in the company today. And I removed myself seven months ago. I removed myself as CEO of the company and I made Joni Ogle, who's very clinically sound minded and she's clinical herself, the CEO. And I moved myself to chairman for two reasons. I think that there's an inherent conflict when you're, when you're the owner financially Mm. and you know, it's hard. And and I'm sure throughout the, my journey, I kept people because of financial fear. Sure. And I wanted I wanted to change that. And yeah, I, and I it's 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 very cool that you have that awareness, and that's that's what because it's it, and I I work in treatment as well, and it's like of of course it'd be nice if we could be. It's it's kind of the same deal with with churches and stuff. It's like it. it of course, in a perfect world, we would have unlimited funding to just help everyone for free. That's like why we get into it. But the reality is like business decisions have to be made and it sucks. But as long as I think it's, it seems like I, I've tried to work for CEOs and people that have a relationship with God. That's kind of my my litmus test because I at least want to know that whatever organization I'm a part of is being steered by something higher than the dollar. You know what I mean? Like there's some kind of higher thing. Yes. And yes, I agree with that. And yet if you don't put the proper, I don't know, the proper pieces into place, the proper guy, you know, there's a concept in Judaism that says, make a boundary for the Torah, right? which means you have all these commandments. Now I've got to make a further boundary, you know, and it says know yourself 
to me the interpretations i have no idea what the traditional interpretation is is know yourself well enough that you got to set you got to put a boundary between you and the decisions that challenge you oh that's good yeah so me financial insecurity's always been a big thing and i've always you know wanted a lot of money and so when payroll's coming up and this guy's relapsed or whatever it may be, because the truth is, if somebody relapses, it doesn't you don't necessarily kick them out yet. You, you know, so then how do you determine, you know, from an objective perspective or, you know, when you are subjective, how do you make objective decisions? Yeah. So, you know, cause it's not that it's not black and white. We do not live in a black and white world and motivation comes into it. And so, um, so that's ultimately how I, you know, came to that determination and that decision and, you know, and, um, I freak out at times and now uh, we figure it out. So, you know, it's it part of it, you know, I'm 11 years into it. I did it, you know, so, oh yeah, um, you know, the good news is that I, I recognize, you know, that I, I need, you know, to protect myself from myself. Yeah. And I, I want to spend, um, as we're getting toward the end, I want to spend a little bit of time. My The question I always shop around to people, because it's my favorite question, because I love the answers, is, so how do you experience God, and how do what does your, like we'll say in a, in a day-to-day way, what does your relationship with God look like? First thing I do every single day is write a gratitude list. I married off my daughter last Tuesday night. Ah, oh, congratulations. Thank you. And I, as I'm walking down the aisle, so I did two things. I'm walking her down the aisle. First, I say, God, I'm so grateful you brought me to this moment. Never thought I'd get there. And then I said to God, I take care of your children. So this union's your responsibility, and I'm cashing in some chips here. <laughs> That's number one, you know, so, but that's a daily basis for me. And I get up and I say, Hey, give me guidance. Let me, you know, do your will. Let my will, let my will be in congruence with your will. All right. Let's figure this, this out. When I'm pissed at him, I get angry at him. I got a lot of questions for him and I'm okay with him. I don't have an issue with it. You know, just the same way my children have questions of me. You know, I, I, they're entitled to ask them. Mm-hmm. You know, how, I always say today I have a relationship no matter what. So it doesn't always have to, we don't always have to be on great terms. You know, he, 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 he loves me no matter what. So, so that's, I pray on a daily basis. I, you know, I, I really, I try to emulate him on a daily basis or her or it, whatever you want to call it. So. Just as he's kind, I want to be kind. And then at night before I go to bed, every night I forgive those that have harmed me. And I always say, God, do not punish anybody on my behalf. Don't want it. Don't need it. And it's for selfish reasons, because then I can say to him, hey, I don't, you, 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 you clean my slate too, bud. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, I'm, it's not, you know, and I say it's okay to be selfish for the right reasons. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so that, that that's the daily basis relationship I have with God today, and then I and then I encourage my children to have a relationship with Him. You know, and that's I awesome. say to my children, to everybody, I was like, "Hey, 
whatever it is. It doesn't have to be my relationship. I don't want to define your your relationship in whatever way you want to do it. Just you know. And then I have friends that are atheists or agnostics, whatever you want to call them, and I tell them I feel so bad for them because at least I got somebody to blame all this shit on. <laughs> I know. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they can blame I mean, Stephen Hawking, right? Yeah, whoever, man. Yeah. But they're, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I get the, you know, yeah, I, I, maybe I can't take credit for all the good. But, you know, today we're in a pretty tough spot. Yeah. You know, and um, I get I get to say, hey, I, I just don't get it, you know, and it's okay, you know, and I'll figure it out one day. But if there's nothing more than this, dude, I want out. For sure. That's, I'm, not, that's I'm not working towards For sure. <laughs> if this and, is and, it, then like, no thank you. Then we can just yeah, go ahead and wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It sucks. Like, I have a buddy, Bart, who was a evangelical Christian who's now an atheist. And I was like, Bart. Oh, man. He's like, well, you believe in that shit? And I was like, Bart, I have to. Oh, yeah. I said, listen, I said, here's the deal. I don't have a problem with God. I have a problem with man. Yes. 100%. Don't blame him for all of it. So. Well, and so where um, tell people where they can find your show and kind of what that's Excellent. about. So, uh, we, have a, we, ha- we have a podcast called Showing Up with Asher Goddessman, and it's all about showing up and how you show up. I believe that every human being in this world, every single one, has a unique gift that only they can give the world. And I want to know how you show up for it. I want to know how you show up for your trials and tribulations. It doesn't just have to be addiction. We're all capable of recovery. So two types of people in the world, those in recovery and those that can be. So I just had a gentleman who wrote a bestseller book, Mastering Diabetes, and he was awesome. At first I thought, what the hell do I have in common with him? (laughs) (laughs) So. I mastered cocaine. He mastered diabetes. Hey, um, I, I, and he never had a drop of alcohol in his life. This guy. I said, between him and I, we've had a a, a moderate amount of alcohol. There, yeah, um, there we go. Yeah, bring so, the bring so, the the bell curve down. Yeah, at, on Instagram at the Asher G. If you have any questions, you have any fears, if you're fighting the religious aspects and you want to ask, I will respond. Um, you know and. Sign up for the podcast, Showing Up with Asher Goddessman. Subscribe, share your stories, tell me who you are, and know that you matter. Awesome. Well, Asher, thanks so much, man, for coming on. I had a great time, bud. Thanks, bud. Talk All to right. you soon. See ya. Bye.